Bless us by in a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for the sense of your presence, for the worship of the saints. And we just thank you, Lord, that you're here in our midst. And we ask you now, Lord, to open again afresh our ears and our hearts to be able to hear and receive the living word of the living God. But in all things, help me and enable me to be able to rightly divide the word of truth and also to be able to exalt the Lord Jesus in all that is said tonight. We thank you for so many coming out, even when others are away on holiday, Lord. We just thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness and putting it into the hearts of your people to be faithful to the house of God. And so, Father, we ask you now to settle us in your presence, to quieten our spirits and enable us to receive and believe. We love you and we worship you and we ask it all, giving you thanks in the name that is worthy and above all others, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to entitle us this evening, Heaven's Courtroom Drama. Heaven's Courtroom Drama. Satan in our reading stands before Almighty God and he comes to present himself and to give an account of himself. Now, before we go any further in our message this evening, I want to nail something to the mast. I want to nail it to the wall. I want it to be written in our hearts and inscribed upon every one of our minds and our thinking before we go any further. God, our Father, in this story, is the one sitting on the throne. He is the one sitting on the throne And Satan is the submissive, servile spirit before him. In other words, God is almighty and Satan is not. So not giving any glory at all to this spirit who is created and fallen, now we give him no glory, but all glory goes to our master, to our God, and to our king alone. So God is on the throne. Satan is a submissive, servile spirit. And in Job chapter 1 and verse 7 it says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro, notice in the earth, take a note, in the earth and walking up and down in it. First of all, when we look at this question that is poised of Satan from the Lord, whence comest thou? Now, does God not uh, let us know that he is omnipresent, that he's all places at all times? Is he not omniscient, that he knows all things in all places and in all times and eternal? Does the word of God not show us that and teach us that and tell us that? Of course it does. Well, then why would God need to ask the question, Unto Satan here, why would he need to ask him, Whence comest thou? Reminds me of the first question that is asked from God to Adam, our father Adam in the garden, after he and Eve had fallen, Adam and Eve partaking of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 9, we're told that Adam and Eve had hid themselves and covered themselves with fig tree or fig leaf aprons and were hiding themselves and God came down to fellowship as usual with Adam in the cool of the day. Here's the question he asked in 3 and 9. The Lord said, I called unto Adam and said, Where art thou? 
Adam, where art thou? Where are you, Adam? But sure, are you not omnipresent? Are you not omniscient? Do you not know everything and you're all places? So why would you need to ask where I am? It's also like the question he asks Eve as well. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 13, he says to the woman, What is this that thou hast done? Eve, what is this that thou hast done, he says. But God, you're omniscient. You know all things and omnipresent. Why ask a question like this? It's like the four questions that God had poised to Cain. Remember Cain and Cain killed Abel, his brother? God says to Cain in Genesis chapter 4, after that he had brought his sacrifice before he had killed Abel, Abel came with the shed blood of a lamb as God has required. Just the blood of the lamb, totally resting in the blood of the lamb and on nothing else. And God had respect onto his offering. But God turned away Cain's offering when he brought the toils of his hand and the sweat of his brow and the labors from the field. And he tried so hard and he brought so much and all his works and his efforts were put before God. And God refused it because it wasn't by works but only by blood. And Cain, his face and his countenance told the tale of how he felt at God's rejection of him. It says in uh, the book of Genesis chapter 4 and verse 6, the Lord poses a question, he says to Cain, why art thou wroth? Why are you angry? But Lord, you know why I'm angry. You've rejected all the things I've brought to you. Do you know, friend, the gospel's still the same tonight? God will reject every work of your hand and all the sweat of your brow. God will reject everything that you can offer him if you come by the work of your hands and your own merit. There's nothing you can do to merit salvation. And God will reject it. And he may even say to you, well, why are you angry? Why are you wroth with me? Because you've no call to be, for I've told you how to come. You come through the blood of the Lamb. You come through the blood of my son. He says, why art thou wroth? And he also says in Genesis 4 and 6, why hast thy countenance fallen? In other words, Cain's face went like a lurking spade. And he could tell it was written all over him and he couldn't help himself. It's before God and he said, well, he's rejected me and look what I've offered and look what I've given and look how I've worked, look how I've toiled and look what I have done. And you're rejecting me But look at Abel, he brings a lamb and he slices its throat and he pours his blood out over an altar stone and God says, that's what I require. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. God says, this is how you come by the blood of the lamb. John the Baptist saw the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, behold the lamb of God. which taketh away the sin of the world. The blood of the lamb of God the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way you can come. No other way. Notice this, he says, why is thy countenance fallen? But Lord, you're omniscient. You're omnipresent. You're everywhere at once and you know all things. So how do you work out that you're asking me a question? You know why my countenance has fallen. You know why I look like this. And another question is poised to him. Genesis 4 and 9. He says, where is thy brother Abel? 
Cain, where is he? Are you telling me, Lord, you don't know where he is? Are you not the supreme deity? Are you not the great I am? Are you not he which who is and was and is to come? Are you not the one we hear about? Why do you ask me the question? And then in Genesis 4 and 10 is the final question to Cain when God says to him, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. What have I done? I've slain my brother. His blood is built all over the ground and pouring all over the place. And you're almighty God and you're asking me a question. So let's take a stand back for a moment and say, Lord, I thought you were omniscient. I thought you were omnipresent. Are you not? Of course he is. The idea of this is that Adam, where art thou? Adam, you're hiding from me. I know where you are, but you must receive what I'm saying to you and step out and confess your sin before me. And many of us try to hide. Many of us try to hide, but the omniscient, all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful, the omnipotent God says, step out and stand out and confess it before me, for I already know it. So Adam, come out and from your hiding, your fig leaf clothes, your apron does you no good, but I will clothe you. If you step out and confess your sin before me. Eve, what is this that thou hast done? I want you to confess what you have done. That you may find salvation and a covering. Cain, when I ask you your question, why are you angry? I know why you're angry, Cain. I want you to tell me why you're angry. Just today and this afternoon, I checked a message from someone who has been maybe listening or whatever they have listened to online, and they were angry with me. They were angry with me because I said that God loved them. They were angry with me because they said God had taken her husband. And where was our God then, she says to me? How dare you? So I spent this afternoon trying to write her something back to encourage her. And sometimes it's okay to question. And it's okay to ask. And God knows our hearts before it's even in our mouth. But here's the thing. He wants us to step out and stand out and to speak it out. Say, Lord, this is how I am. This is who I am. This is how I'm feeling. Will you help me, Lord? I need your ministry in my life. Cain... I know why your countenance has fallen. Lord, I'm disappointed. But you have no right to be disappointed because, listen, brothers and sisters, in all honesty, there's not one of us deserve one thing from God. It's called grace. It's God's sovereign will, his divine love, and his electing choice. And God comes and ministers to us even when we are undeserving. And even when we're in our sin, when our trespasses and we're dead toward him, still in his grace and his mercy and his loving goodness and his kindness, he steps out of heaven, stands down on the earth and clothes himself, as it were, in a body of flesh and hangs on a cross and dies for us. It's called grace. It's called grace. 
Where's your brother? I know where your brother is. I want you to confess. Alison and I bumped into someone the other day. We felt that there was something wrong with this person between us. Couldn't figure out what it was, so we asked them. I asked them it out straight. Is everything all right with us? Let's just be up in front. Are you okay? If I did anything, they went, no, 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 no. Has she done anything? That's what Adam don't blame away. The woman you give me, Lord, she done it. We're still the same. It's her fault. No, 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 you just haven't done anything. What's wrong? I wanted to come to see you, but it just took so long, and after a while, I felt so embarrassed, and I felt I couldn't after a while. So we sorted it out there and then. You see, sometimes in our minds, we feel, Lord, it's been so long. It's been too long. But it hasn't been too long for him. You might think it's long, but here's the thing. A day on this earth is like, or a thousand years on this earth is like a day to him. It's like been like, just that happened there and then, two seconds ago or so, uh, that thing that happened so many years ago, in God's eyes. It's not too long. It's not too late. You're not too far gone for God to be able to save you. Now, I notice this. He says, what have you done? God knew what he had done. He wanted confession. So in Job chapter 1 and verse 7, whenever we read, whence comest thou to Satan? God isn't saying, would you please tell me where you were, Satan? Because I know you're a powerful being. And even though they call me God and I'm omniscient and I'm omniscient and I'm omnipresent, in other words, I'm everywhere at once. I know all things and I'm all powerful. And even though I'm all of those things, maybe I'm just not quite what I think I am myself. People tend to look at God like that. Say, God's no choice in this world and no this life. It's as if God has no choice in our, our salvation. I mean, it's all, well, we choose him. Not at all. God came and chose you. He chose Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Israel. And he chose you. He has a choice. His sovereign will, his sovereign power, his almighty being within himself He chose you from before the foundation of this world. He knew you, yet he loved you. He sent his son from a cradle to a cross to die for you. Whence comest thou, he asked Satan. Now here's what I have written when I was writing this message just the other day. God did not ask the question out of any ignorance on his behalf. But rather, God asked the question from his own omnipotence. Let me say it again. God did not ask the question out of ignorance on his own behalf, but rather from his own omnipotence. In other words, he sits on the throne, a regal royal with none else beside him. He alone is God. 
There's none to compare to him. He is sovereign. He is Yahweh, the almighty God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. His name is Jesus. And he sits on the throne. And as he looks at him, he says, as he looks at Satan, he says, Whence comest thou? So let's nail it to the, uh, the very walls of our hearts and imprint it on our minds tonight. God is still in charge. God is still on the throne. God is still in control. God is Lord of all and he's Lord over all. And he is our heavenly father. God loves you tonight. And Satan has no power over you because Christ died for you. Get it into your minds and hearts. Oh, the devil, the devil, the devil. Never mind the devil. What about the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord? Here, he comes and he asks him, Whence comest thou? Listen to what a Puritan called Arthur Dent wrote about the sovereignty of God over Satan. This is just a little snippet of what he had to say. Certain it is that we are to believe it by faith that the power of Satan is not equal to the power of God. It is not so strong, so large, and so wide. It is every way infinitely less. There is no comparison between that which is infinite and that which is finite. The infinite God looks at him and says, Whence comest thou? Where did you come from? Not that God did not know, but rather, I want you to confess to me as your superior, as your creator. Doesn't the scriptures tell us that all of us shall give an account to God? The man who spits against heaven will find that it will surely fall back on his own face. And if you spit against heaven, you will find that it will fall back on your own face. And one day we'll stand before our God to give an account of all that we have done and even an account of our nature for what it is. Sometimes we say the devil's attacking, and I know at times we're under pressure, and the devil may attack. We're going to look at it because he says he's in the earth. He may attack. But listen to another old Puritan called Samuel Rutherford about when you're going through a hard time and Satan's maybe trying his best to do his worst. He says, Satan is not only God's master fencer to teach us. Satan, pardon me, Satan is only God's master fencer to teach us to use our weapons. Do you know why you're being tried? That you'll take out the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That you'll take it out and you'll become a master fencer. As Christ said, it is written, it is written, it is written, when he was tempted of the devil in the wilderness. Slice, slice, stab, and Satan left him for a season. So Satan answers the Lord in Job chapter 1 and verse 7. Whence comest thou is 
the question and the answer is from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. Let me say it again. From going to and fro in the earth. Take note. In the earth. And from walking up and down in it. Now we must ask the question, how did this happen? Turn with me to Revelation chapter 12, please. Revelation chapter 12. Let's write on down just to verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought against his angels. And prevailed not, neither was there found any more, found, neither was there place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. Notice, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. There's a war in heaven and Satan, he takes a third of the angels and they are fallen or cast to the earth after this great war in heaven. And the proclamation is this. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth for the devil has come down unto you. And that devil wants to Steal and to kill and to destroy, as our Lord Jesus told us. He's doing that in our families and in our, our societies, and he's doing it with our friends. And he's stealing young people's lives. And he's destroying people's health and strength. And he's killing on the left hand, on the right, through war, manipulating men and manipulating women and young children and Families being massacred. Woe the inhabitants of the earth, it says. The Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 10 and verse 18 says, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. He says, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Turn with me while you're in Revelation to Revelation chapter 9, please. Revelation chapter 9, just a verse or two. Verse 1. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw, notice, a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. Now I'll do a prophecy night on that some night. This is the birth of Islam. We'll not go into that tonight. That's not our topic. But this star falling from heaven is Lucifer. Lucifer means day star. The fall of Lucifer into the bottomless pit. And he now has a free reign as it were. The keys means it's not literal keys, but he has a freedom to go in and out. And guess what, brothers and sisters? It's the place he'd love you to be. Guess what, unsafe friend? It's the place he'll have you to be. 
Notice this, Ezekiel chapter 28. The Lord, through Ezekiel the prophet, is speaking to a king of, of Tyre here. Tyrus, you call him. And speaking to, through the prophet of this man, the Lord sees past the human being. He sees past the flesh and he sees right into the spirit behind this ruler. And this place became a place of, of sin and debauchery and everything that went on, wicked happened in this place. And it was all because of the spirit that worked behind this man. And in Ezekiel 28 verse 13 it says, to the king of Tyrus, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Now hold on a minute, you saying that man has been in Eden, the garden of God? You see, he's looking at who was it was in Eden when Adam and Eve were there. The serpent came. Who is the serpent? Revelation 12 tells us that old devil, called, the serpent called the devil or Satan. And the Lord says, I know who you are. See every wickedness in the earth. See every wickedness of man's heart unredeemed. To see every loose tongue. To see everything that goes to tear people down. He says, I know your spirit. And I know who it is and what it is that's working in you. We don't fool God. We might fool man, but God is not mocked. And he says, I see you. You were in Eden, the garden of God. See, all those false religions. He says, I see you. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Verse 14 of Ezekiel 28. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. I have set thee so that thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down the midst of the stones of fire. Thou was perfect, verse 15. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created. Notice that. That thou wast created until iniquity was found in thee. Here the Lord looks at this spirit. It's like when Simon Peter tried to stop the Lord Jesus going to Calvary. Oh Lord, don't be going because I love you so much. But Christ had the Father's interest and will in view. He says, get thee behind me, Satan. But I'm Peter. He wasn't talking to Peter. He's talking to the spirit manipulating him. Get thee behind me, Satan, he says. And here he looks at this man and he says, Thou wast in Eden, the garden of God. Thou wast the anointed cherub that covereth. You walked up and down in the midst of the coals of fire and the mountain of God or in my presence. If you read that chapter, it talks about he was created with all precious stones and pipes coming out of him. And the thought is that he was the worship leader in heaven. Thank the Lord, our worship leader isn't like that guy. I see the way down there. So he was, <laughs> he was the worship leader in heaven. Ours is a godly one. And he was a worship leader in heaven. And it's like the two cherubs that, that, that covered the Ark of the Covenant with their wings and the glory of God would come down upon that golden ark. Here is a picture of what God needed to stop the rest of his created angels being consumed in his presence. They looked at God's holy presence and would just consume the whole of heaven. The Father's glory, Yahweh. So he makes this 
cherub, the anointed one. He makes him special that when others sang, it's believed the music came through him. And there's worship in heaven. The angel's wings would cover. You covered so that none other would be destroyed. God says, I know you. But then there was iniquity found in you. I created you, but I found iniquity in you. What was his iniquity? Isaiah 14 tells us the very heart's desire of this created being. Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 15. I'll just throw them out for time's sake. Verse 13. Satan's words. By the way, this is also attributed to the king of Babylon who carried away Judah. He looks at him and he says, I know you. I see your spirit. Verse 13 of Isaiah 14. I will ascend into heaven. It's known as the five I wills of Satan. I will ascend into heaven. Secondly, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. You know who the stars of God are? They're the redeemed of God from Daniel. They will shine brighter than the stars of the firmament. This is the idea of it. He says, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mountain of the congregation. Or I'm going to sit among God's people and rule them. Mind you of anybody? I don't mean in here now. <laughs> Verse 15. He says, I will ascend above the heights of the... 14, well, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And then he says, look, I will be like the most high. I will be like the most high. Look at what he says in Verse 15. Yet, the Lord says, thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. In other words, you'll be brought down to a big pit. And the sides of the pit gives the idea of the far extremities of it. It gives the idea of the uttermost region furthest away from God. He says, you're saying I'll ascend and I'll do this and I'll do that. He says, well, I'll tell you where you'll be. You'll be in the pit. Revelation tells us that God throws Satan into a pit, the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's bound for a thousand years and released again. Cause more havoc in Christ then. He takes him and throws him into the lake of fire. Job chapter 1 and verse 7, the Lord says, Whence comest thou? And the answer is from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. That's what Satan said. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, he tells us, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. I hear people talking about their favorite TV shows and all that. I don't have favorite TV shows. But sometimes if there's a wildlife program program on, myself and the girls especially like to watch the odd one. And you know, you'd maybe see 
uh, some deer in a field and maybe one is weak or maybe one is old and one is straight out to the side and as it's weak and old and straight out to the side, uh, the rest of, of, of the, whether it's deer or uh, antelope or wilder beast or whatever, but the rest of the herd or whatever is away over. And he starts walking out to themselves and he gets so busy with the things all around them, they're eating away and lo and behold, they don't notice lying there camouflaged as the lion. You don't realize it lying there camouflaged as the lion, blending into the scenery. Till he springs and he devours it. Am I speaking to someone you've wandered away from the fold? You've wandered away from the security of God's fold. Maybe you've backslidden in mind and heart. Am I speaking to someone and you're away on the danger zone on the outside, on the outskirts, and, and just maybe, just maybe tonight, maybe the devil is the one who's camouflaged and waiting to take that prize and to grab you, to destroy your life. Be sober. Be vigilant. The idea is keep looking all around you. He's your adversary. So heaven's courtroom drama starts with some of these words I've used. I've been building you up to something. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 58, the Lord Jesus tells us of a courtroom drama. 12 and, Luke 12 and 58, When thou goest with thine adversary to the magistrate, as thou art in the way, give diligence that thou mayest be delivered from him, lest he heal thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and the officer cast thee into prison. The word adversary here is the same word adversary, 1 Peter 5 and 8, that uh, the adversary, the devil, is as a roaring lion who walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And it's the word antidikos. And it gives the idea of an opponent or an enemy, but it gives the idea of an opponent in a lawsuit. An opponent in a lawsuit. Like when you have a court case, you have a, uh, the defense who will defend you. But then you have those who are your opponent in a lawsuit. And the Lord Jesus says, when you go with thine adversary to the magistrate, as thou art in the way, give diligence that thou mayest be delivered from him. Before you get to the magistrate or the judge, he says, you're walking every day. He says, you're walking every step of your life and you're walking with your adversary who has a lawsuit against you. He says, now what you need to do, he says, make sure that that lawsuit is quenched before you get before the magistrate. The magistrate has to order you to be put into prison. Before you get to God on that day, make sure your lawsuit is not against you. Simply tells us that we not only have an opponent, but we are to make sure and with all haste to get ourselves right with God. In other words, to be make sure you're saved. You see, the legal issue of this case is our adversary, the devil, the one who has a lawsuit against us, would stand even as he did uh, in Job chapter 1, and he stands before God 
And he has this right to claim people to point out their sin and their, uh, and their failures. He points out everything before God. So if you go into a courtroom, and heaven's courtroom dramas like this, brothers and sisters, he turns around and he says, uh, I'll use Gary for, for this Gary here, okay. Look at Gary. Look at him. Are you going to let him into the kingdom? Are you going to let him into your heaven? Are you going to let him in where the angels of boat is? Are you going to let him judge and rule over them? Look at him. I bring to you, Gary, and all the sin. See, sin must be dealt with. And if God let Gary in outside of Christ, and he's not saved, and if God let Gary in outside of Christ, you're ready, brothers and sisters, listen to this, friend. If God lets you in on save, friend, into his heaven and into his kingdom, then he has to make an apology to the devil and reinstate him. He has to make an apology to Satan because there's a miscarriage of justice then. So this courtroom is, look at Gary, look at Gary, look at Gary. I'll come back to you in a minute, Gary. I'll not leave you outside heaven, you're all right. He is our adversary, and he is also not only our adversary, he is the accuser from Revelation chapter 12, as we have already read. The accuser of our brethren, it says. The word accuser is the word categorio, and it means to accuse before a judge, or it gives the idea of an extrajudicial accusation to speak against someone. I'm accusing him. And and if I can work out a loophole in God's holiness, and if I can work out and see a loophole in God's righteousness, and if I can see a loophole in God's justice, if I can see a loophole, then I will escape God's judgment. So he brings Gary, and he says, Gary, look at him. He's unworthy. And I said about every one of us, every single one of us, It's like those who brought the woman in John chapter 8 and verse 10. The woman who's caught in the very act of adultery. Caught in the act. In other words, there was no messing about here. There was no, this woman may or may not have. She was caught in the act. They bring this woman and says, the law says, this woman is surely be put to death. But the blessed master thinking of Calvary, writes down on the ground. You who was without sin, let him first cast a stone at her. And not one could cast a stone. Not one could cast a stone, for they were all sinning. Are you doing origami over there? What are you doing? (laughs) Not one could cast a stone at her. Here's what Jesus says in John 8 and 10. He says, woman, where are those thine accusers? Where are they, woman? It's the same word that the devil uses. Look at her. Jesus, what do you think? Look at her. 
The devil says, God, look at him. We have an adversary. We have an accuser. But praise the Lord in heaven's courtroom drama, we have an advocate. We have an advocate. 1 John 2 and 1 says, My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The word advocate here, you know what it is? It's the word parakletos. Parakletos. You may be familiar with that word because it's anywhere you'll find it. You'll find it in John chapter 14, 15 and 16. The Lord Jesus speaking of the Holy Ghost, the comforter that will come. Again, he is called that in the courtroom. I am the comforter to come alongside. I come alongside, Gary, when you're going through this court case, then I will come as your advocate. And if you're not saved and not trusting Christ, you'll stand before God and there is no advocate. It's too late. The advocate is one who pleads another's cause before a judge. He is a legal assistant or a counsel of defense. And Christ comes as our counsel of defense and our legal assistant, and he stands before the Father and says, Father, Gary is trusting in me. Gary has put his faith in what I have done. Father, Gary is worthy of heaven because of me. Charles Wesley wrote the hymn in 1740, Whence to me this waste of love? Ask my advocate above. See the cause in Jesus' face. There before the throne of grace. There for me the Savior stands. He shows his wounds and spreads his hands. God is love. I know I feel. Jesus lives and he loves me still. This wonderful Christ, our advocate, stands in the courtroom of God, pleading my cause and yours. He says, they're trusting in me, Father, and in the blood that I shed for them. I got to close. Time's gone. Quickly, we have an advocate who is the Almighty. Revelation 1 and 8 says, he says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. You know what the word Almighty is? It's a word, Pantocrator. And Pantocrator really means the ruler of all, the omnipotent one. Pass means all, and Krato means to hold. So it gives the idea that he is the one who holds all things, and all things are in his own hands. And he is the one who holds all things in his own sway. The advocate, the almighty God, of, as the God of hosts. He who holds the sway of everything, the great I am, the omnipotent, eternal, self-existing, the creator of all things and the ruler of all things who became flesh and died for us. I want to say this categorically on the behalf of mine own self, how Christ has saved me. Forgive me forever. But what about you? Are you saved? Are you saved? 
Notice this. If God lets a sinner in to his kingdom or into his heaven on their own merit, then God, as I said, needs to pay Satan an apology for casting him out. That's how difficult and impossible it is for you and I to enter the kingdom without the blood of Christ. But God our Father need never apologize to the adversary or the accuser for sin was paid for. Sin was paid for. When Jesus cried, that's our last day. It is finished. Pen and full. The wrath of God was poured out upon his son. And now for me and for all of you, brother and sisters in Christ, God's no longer angry with you. And he's no longer angry with me because I have an advocate before the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless his word to all of our hearts. Time really did fly there. Hear a pin drop. God's been speaking even just to encourage his own people. Even just to encourage the Christian. But if you're not saved, if you're not saved, maybe we all are, but if you're not saved, maybe you're backslidden, you're away from the Lord. Please don't leave here without getting right with God. For you'll not get into heaven. I fear without Christ.